Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about submission. Submission. I think submission is maybe the most maligned, you know, um, valuable trait, characteristic in the body of Christ. Same thing with humility. I always say that humility is so underrated, okay? Humility is the secret to enjoying life, okay? Because in this life, people are going to wrong you. People are going to treat you less than you deserve. That is the state of this life. Um, Humility is the virtue that allows you to thrive in the midst of all of that, whereas pride is um, is the opposite. Pride makes every slight to you, right? Every dishonor, every insult, every disrespect, so much more painful. And then it always may, it puts you in this position where you constantly have to prove yourself, feel like you have to prove yourself to everybody, and it just torments your life. Okay, pride is one of the the worst things ever, and um, the reason why I'm talking about humility and pride is because it's very close. It's it's overlapping with the idea of submission. Okay, um, I want us to understand submission is so important to the Father. It's so important to the Father, and um, in fact, I would say that a lack of submission is probably the you know, one of the greatest things that is destroying um, the nation and destroying the church right now, okay? Um, I've said before that there's really two characteristics that are essential if we want to see a move of God in our times, and that is humility and um, faith, right? Those Those two things are essential. You have to have humility and you have to have faith. And Submission is one of the things that um, manifests both of those characteristics, right? You can't submit without humility. It's impossible. And um, you can't follow God, you know, without faith. They're, they're tied together. They're linked together. And um, I, wanna, I want, my hope is that by the end of this podcast, that anybody that would hear that term submission and immediately recoil would instead hear that term and be like, I want that. I want the spirit of submission, okay? Um, in particular, I want to address what a lack of submission is really doing in the families all throughout America. We are, you know, at the lowest point in healthy family life in all of American history, and a lot of that is due to um, a lack of value for submission, or at least a misunderstanding of what it's about, okay? Um, it's actually so, so important, okay? All right, so let's talk about all these things. Um, first, I want to um, start off with some scripture from Ephesians 5. Um, this is what Paul is telling to families, right? It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes and gives the, spe- the specifics. How are we to submit to one another? Verse 22, wives, submit yourself yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit their, to their husbands in everything. Okay, let me pause there because this is so offensive, right? I do, you know, a good amount of weddings and, um, you know, I've done I've done this passage at some weddings, um, but this is a hard passage because you know at weddings you're going to have a lot of non Christians there, and 
many people, including Christians, are offended by this because to them it sounds it sounds like domination. It sounds like oppression and control. And um, and I understand why it can sound like that to a lot of people because a lot of people have experienced um, immature or controlling headship authority in their lives and they've had a bad taste in their mouth. And so when they hear this call to submit, um, it reminds them of that. And I totally understand that, okay? I've experienced a good amount of that type of leadership in my life also. So I understand, you know, why it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But what we have to understand is that we don't want the bad version of, you know, authority in our lives. We want the good version of authority. And we don't want the bad version of submission. We want the good version of submission, okay? The bad version of submission is where we have no idea. We don't draw boundaries at all. So any abuse that comes at us, we are, we feel like we're supposed to submit to it all. And I just want to say that's not healthy, okay? That's not healthy, all right? When you look at the biblical heroes, what you're going to see is that almost all of them, you know, I'm just running through a list in my head, almost all of them resisted authority at different times in their lives, Okay, um, obviously Jesus resisted authorities, right? He did not submit to Herod. He did not submit to Pontius Pilate. He did not do what they wanted. He did not do what the Sanhedrin wanted, which was the religious court of his day. So, you know, I'm sure. Look, lots of people in Jesus' time would have charged him as being rebellious. All right, but he was not rebellious. He was in submission. All right, but you you have to understand how submission works, okay? Submission is always to the highest authority first. It's to God first, and then you submit to earthly leaders like governments, okay? And then you submit, you know, down the line like that. So the point is, if the government commands you to do something that violates a command from God, then you're obligated to disobey the government. That's how godly submission works, okay? And that is actually a manifestation of true submission, Right, because true submission is, I understand, I am under God's authority first. He's my ultimate authority. So if the government asks me to sin in some way against the Lord, I must tell them no because I'm under authority to God. Okay, And so that's healthy submission. So my point is, healthy submission is at times going to look rebellious to people who don't understand submission well. That is going to happen. Okay, and but that's not rebelliousness. In fact, what you're going to see a lot of times is controlling leaders are going to throw that accusation out all the time that people, you know, are rebellious because they're not doing what they want. Okay, but in fact, that's that's not healthy. Okay, so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that a person that is fully submissive in their lives that has a strong spirit of submission is never going to say no to authorities. Of course not. That's a bad. That's not real submission. Okay, no, real submission means that at times you do have to put up boundaries and you have to say no to people and you have to stand your ground that all of that is very healthy. Okay, so um, let's make that clear to start with. Okay, but what we see here in Ephesians 5 is that God gives the greatest scope of authority. Okay, that we see on earth. It's greater than any other scope of authority except his own. Right. Because the church obeys Christ in everything, right? It's not like Jesus can can say to, you know, one of his pastors <laughs> that's serving the church, hey, I want you to do this. And, you know, the pastor can be like, no, no, I'm not going to do that, Jesus, right? No, that's wrong. <laughs> you have to do everything that Jesus says, okay? That's, that, that's the scope of Jesus' authority over the church. But the scriptures, what they say is that that same scope of authority is given to husbands over their wives, let me just say, that is a crazy amount of authority, 
Okay, there's nothing else on the earth that's that's like that. Okay, nothing else that's like that. That is an incredible amount of authority. What that means is that wives are obligated to obey their husbands beyond anybody. I believe beyond even the, the government. Okay, except if their husbands command them to sin. Okay, except if their husbands command them to sin, then in the same way, wives are obligated to disobey their husbands, right, and not obey them because they have a higher authority who is God. Okay, now, immediately, this is going to provoke a lot of people because no one's husband is Jesus, <laughs> right? Like, there's not a perfect husband on the planet. So, inevitably, if you're going to obey your husband like Jesus, there's going to be times where the husband commands you to do things that he really shouldn't. Inevitably, right? Because the husband's not Jesus. Okay? There are going to be times when the husband abuses his authority because the husband is not Jesus. That is all going to happen. All right? And what it appears to many women is you want me to put myself under the tyranny of my husband. Well, that is that ancient patriarchal oppression, okay? And um, and the answer is that, yes, yes, there is going to be some oppression, okay? Yes, there is going to be some oppression. And I, I know that that's not what anybody wants to hear, all right? Um, but the truth is, in this life, you will have tribulations, okay? In the same way, I tell young people, no, you can't have sex before marriage, right? Even though you really want to, right? I tell husbands, no, you can't have whatever career that you want and you can't spend your money however you want to. No, you have to be submitted to Christ and, f- and seek his kingdom first, right? None of us can do what we want. And there's many other ways, right? Like as you know, as somebody in a business, um, I've had to submit to my boss in ways that were totally not fair, right? But that's what I have to do sometimes, okay? And again, I'm not saying when it gets abusive, I think we can't all put up boundaries, and I think wives can put up boundaries with abusive actions of their husbands, okay? So I'm not trying to say there are zero boundaries, but what I am trying to say is that there are going to be times where you have to submit yourself under wrongdoing. And the problem is when that's the first place your mind goes. Does that make sense? Like, when the first place our mind goes is, oh my gosh, if I'm going to obey that, that means that I'm going to have to you know, do a lot of stuff that I don't want to do or I don't think is wise because my husband wants me to do it. And that's the first place our mind goes, right? I want to say this lovingly but gently. That is a spirit of rebellion within us, okay? When our mind goes there first, okay? Now, let me be clear. That spirit of rebellion, as I'm calling it, is so common. We're all struggling with it to some degree. So I'm not trying to say that if your mind went there, like you were so much worse than everybody else. No, you're pretty much where everybody else is. <laughs> okay? So this isn't my heart to condemn people. I'm just trying to point out how this flaw that's so common and so prevalent actually destroys our own happiness. Okay? Because where our mind should first go really is, wow, if... I submit to my husband in everything, how blessed will I be, right? What benefit, what great benefit shall come from this? That really is where our minds should first go. But because of the way the culture is and because there's so much immaturity and for a lot of other reasons, I understand for many of us, our minds will immediately go to, oh, but what about all the bad that could happen, okay? And my loving advice is simply this. We have to trust the scriptures. And the nature of that is when we're trying to trust the Lord, 
in areas where it's difficult for us to trust, well, there's a process to that. So it's always, God, if this is what you want, I submit to it, but Lord, show me why it's good. Okay, that really as a Christian should be our attitude about a whole host of things, okay, including this aspect of submission, right? It's, hey God, I don't see fully why this is a good command, but Lord, I trust you. And if this is what you want, then Lord, I submit myself to it. But now Lord, help me see the beauty of this command, right? Help me to see why this is so good, all right? And that's really the heart of this podcast episode, okay? Um, before we get to a lot of those benefits, I want us to see, to take a, a, a look around and see all the negative effects of the of, of people teaching the opposite of this. Because really, the reason why this is so offensive in our culture today is because pretty much what you're going to hear is the opposite of it all the time in our culture. And that's, you know, you should do what makes you happy, you know. You know, woman, you need a man that will treat you right. <laughs> you know, like you need to find a you know king because you're a queen. All this kind of stuff. And really, what I'm getting at is it's it's the spirit of feminism. Okay, the spirit of feminism is one of the most toxic, poisonous ideologies in our culture. It is absolutely killing our families. And the problem is that it's so widespread, it's so common that even most believers don't understand how they have been influenced by this ideology, by the spirit of rebellion. That's really what the feminist spirit is, okay? Now, I'm using a lot of terminology here that might be unfamiliar, okay? When I say spirit, I'm, I'm really speaking about the essence of feminism, okay? I'm not trying to say that there's a demon necessarily, okay? A demon of feminism that's in everybody. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's like the, the essence of the, of the feminist ideology, okay? It's really a spirit of rebellion, okay? Now, to understand rebellion, we have to understand how rebellion comes about, all right? The reason why rebellion comes about is because of abusive and controlling leadership, all right? It's misused authority, all right? And to be clear, this is really, really common, all right? When Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said the Lord's, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, all right? And what he's talking about is how they use their authority to take advantage of all those under their authority, okay? They take advantage of them. They take advantage of their authority. They use them for their own purposes. And then he says, but it must not be so for you, right? Whoever wants to be greatest in the kingdom must become a servant of all, must use his authority not for their own personal benefit, but for the benefit of those that they're in authority over. That's the proper model of how authority is supposed to be utilized. But Jesus is acknowledging that this is exceedingly rare, right? This is generally not how it works, on this earth, all right? And so the nature of this kingdom is that it is it is asking you to live in such a way that doesn't make sense on this earth, right? That is, that's Christianity in a nutshell, right? If you seek to gain your life, you know, you will lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you shall find it, all right? And we have to understand that this is the wisdom of God. It seems like foolishness, all right, it seems like foolishness. And obviously, this issue of submission is exactly the same, right? It's exactly the same. It's natural for us to be like, that doesn't seem like it would work. But the, why does it work? The reason it works is because, number one, we're going to have an ultimate judgment where the Lord's going to make everything fair, okay? So God never promises you that in this life, you're always going to have everything fair. If you do something right, you're immediately going to be blessed, no, there's no promise that is anything like that, okay? It's always, there's going to be a delay. That is the warning of scripture. All right, if you do something right, 
it does say that you will be blessed, but there's going to be a delay, right? And this is something we have to understand. There's going to be a delay of blessing. Now, what I would like to suggest is that when we do what's right, we are going to reap what we sow, but there's going to be a delay of blessing, and we'll receive part of the reward in this life, and then the fullness of the reward on the day of judgment or in the next life. Okay, this is how the kingdom operates. So if we do something right for the sake of righteousness now, in the immediate aftermath, we usually do not see an immediate blessing. That's not how this works, right? But over the course of time, in this life, we generally will see a blessing, but it's still not the full blessing. And then in the age to come, we'll receive our reward from our Father and that will be the full blessing that we're going to get from it, okay? So when we look at something like submission, what I would like to suggest is that the feminist movement, what it did was it reacted to um, to the abuse of authority in this age, okay? And there was a lot, okay? How many women throughout history were told that they can't do something that they felt a real potential for, a real desire, or even a calling to do. Um, but because they were women, they were told, no, that's not your place, right? You're not to do that. And how many women lived in, you know, with underutilized gifts, underutilized potential? Oh, oh so many. Okay, and that all of that is real types of, you know, oppression, all right? So I'm not saying that feminism didn't arise for a good reason because this is the spirit of rebellion does tend to arise out of a real context of of control all right that's very normal okay and it works the same way no kid starts off super rebellious i don't know i guess i haven't seen every kid out there but generally speaking kids don't start off super rebellious all right what happens is you know when children start to feel, like when they get hurt and they start to feel that they're getting these commands, not because it's best for them, but because they're being used by their parents. They're being commanded um, in a way that's beneficial for the parents and not for them. Then they start to resent the commands, all right? And then they learn that it's better not to obey them, all right? That's how rebelliousness comes in. If you have if you have great authority in your life, then what happens is it's it's much easier for you to honor and respect authorities because you've seen in the past how trusting your authority actually resulted in blessing for you, right? But the reality is that none of our authorities are perfect, and if we're honest, like many of our authorities are, are very immature, abusive, all the rest of it, okay? So if somebody develops a spirit of rebellion... Um, which I've already mentioned is very is, is common. It's like almost everybody has some degree of rebelliousness in our hearts, right? Just like all of us have some degree of pride, some degree of, you know, lots of other things, deception, lying, all of that. We all struggle with all these different things, okay? But the nature of it is to the degree that we've had abusive controlling authority in our lives, we're going to struggle with a spirit of rebelliousness. And um, what we have to understand is that spirit of rebelliousness is actually going to harm us in our lives, Right? It's actually going to harm us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to kill our ability to thrive in any kind of group unit because group units require submission. All right? Group units require submission for the sake of unity. All right? It requires it. This is why God gives authority to the husbands over their wives for the sake of unity in the family. Okay? This doesn't mean that every husband is better than every wife or knows how to use his authority better than every wife. That's not what it means. 
Okay, what it means is that in this life, God has given authority to this group of people for the sake of unity. All right. And now both of them have responsibility, right? The wife has responsibilities to submit. The husband has an, a responsibility to use his authority to serve his wife, which is, you know, if we read on in Ephesians 5, that's exactly what Paul goes on to say, right? That husbands should use their authority not to use it, but to lay down their life for their wife, just like Christ laid down his life for us, right? In the same way, we should lay down our lives for the sake of our wives, okay? So we're to use our authority rightly, okay? But the point is, is that this authority has been given for the sake of unity, and now both sides have their part to play, and we're, we're all going to be judged in it in the age to come, okay? Unless we think that this is the only relationship that exists, no, every husband is going to have to submit in their own lives, okay? Not primarily to their wives, all right? But there's going to be submission in their lives. They're going to have to submit to their bosses. They're, they're going to submit to their pastors. They're going to have to submit to you know their fathers. They're going to have to submit to other people in their lives, and that's going to be a real submission, Okay? Um, and wives have to submit to their husbands. All right, this is the the pattern. And children have to submit to their to um, their parents. Okay, submission is a way of life that we all have to walk in. Okay, husbands really their main job is to submit to God. All right, so in the ways that husbands are not submitting their lives to God, they are absolutely failing their families. Okay, and I'm not intending to gloss over that fact. But what I am pointing out is I think that in the church that's generally understood, right? If you have a father or a husband who's not following God, it's not like any pastor is going to be like, he's doing a great job. What a great husband, <laughs> right? Generally speaking, we're going to be like, no, we, you need to follow God and submit your life to him, you know, in, in most churches, I should say, okay, most healthy churches. But what I will say is that in many churches, women and wives don't hear very often about how they need to submit to their husbands and why that's important and how to do it, okay? And in fact, what I've seen in my life is that um, most women do not understand this dynamic because there's so much pressure and there's so many voices in our culture now telling women, hey, you know, you, you should have fun with your life, you know, sleep around, you know, um, go after career, you know, just like men have always done, now now it's our time. Now we can do it. Okay, there's this implication. Even if that's not something you've explicitly heard, you're going to hear it in the opinions, in the comments, in the encouragements of so many of the people around you. And I just want to say, um, women, if you do that, you're going to destroy huge aspects of your life. Okay? Because women are not men. Women are not men. Okay? And there are important differences there. Okay. Um, generally speaking, women find much more of their purpose in the context of family and having children and child raising in a way that men do not. Okay. In a way that men do not. Now, to be clear, I think men should be husbands and should be fathers and should devote themselves to that. I think that's important. Okay. I'm not saying it's not important for men. But what I am saying is that men are not going to find their inner sense of purpose in that as much as women tend to. So the point is, if a man devotes a huge percentage of his life to his career, he's going to feel much more fulfilled than most women who try to do the same. Okay? Um, that's just one example. There's a lot of different examples. All right? It's the same thing with sex. Okay? There is a biological difference between men and women. If a man sleeps around with many women, I think that's bad for him. Okay? I think that's very bad for him. Okay? Uh, to be clear. Right? But... 
it's not going to damage him as much as a woman who sleeps around the same amount. It's not, okay? There is a biological difference between men and women, all right? The, you know, the example I often use is if you stick, you know, one man on a deserted island with 20 women, they can repopulate the island, right? The man can sleep with all the women and there's tons of babies and it'll be relatively okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Obviously, no, nobody wants to be in that situation. Well, maybe some men do, right? But just being, you know, it's okay. It, the, the opposite is not true, okay? If you have um, 20 men and one woman on an island, it's a recipe for absolute disaster, right? <laughs> like that won't work, right? It doesn't work. And, um, we have to understand there's a biological reason why. Women are designed with a maternal instinct to care for a child, to be protective over that child. That that transfers into their selection process for men, right? There's a biological and psychological component where women are gauging whether this man will protect and be responsible enough to care for a family, okay? That's a huge part of a woman's psychology in selecting a mate, okay? A man biologically and psychologically, there's a huge component where they're looking for someone who will, you know, let them re reproduce, <laughs> okay? Like, men will, will sleep with, you know, <laughs> with anyone, and there doesn't need to be a huge love component, just being honest. There doesn't need to be a huge love component for a man to sleep with a woman, okay? Because his biological needs will just, like, you know, catapult him into it you know, whereas with women, there 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 needs to be more emotional, um, more emotional connection. There needs to be more respect for the man, right? That she's sleeping with, something like that. Okay, and the point is, and and, and it means more to to like if if a, if a man and a woman sleep together, it means more to the woman than it does to the man. Okay, and these are these are things that. You know what you're going to see if if a woman has never slept with a man before marriage, they're going to have a relatively high chance of succeeding in marriage. Okay, relatively. All right, that percentage chance of a relationship working out diminishes significantly with the number of partners that a woman has had. If a woman has had a single partner, all right, before their husband. Okay, what you see is that the chances of their marriage working out decrease significantly, and it continues to decrease for the number of partners that they have until I think it hits about five. Once a woman has had five partners or more, I think it's about the same after that. But what you're going to see is that this is a major factor for a lot of women, and, and they don't even realize, they don't know, because they've been told by the culture that, oh yeah, we can, you know, we can have sex just like men, and you know, as long as we use protection... It's okay. A lot of a lot of women do not understand that in fact what they're doing is they're destroying their ability to have a long-term relationship in a family context, right? Through premarital sex, through sleeping around before marriage. And it is it simply does not work the same way for men. And that might seem unfair for a lot of women, but that is the truth of our psychology and our biology, okay? And there's not a lot of people saying this stuff, um, which is why a lot of women don't know this. All right. So as a pastor, as a leader in the church, we really need to be communicating to our women that it actually is very important for them to hold on to their virginity. All right. Now, to be clear, we should also be telling men not to sleep around. Okay. I'm not trying to excuse that. It does also have very negative side effects. All right. 
But I, I want us to understand some of the differences that we see in the data that's out there, all right? And look, here's the reality. Something like 80% of divorces are instigated by the wives, okay? This is something that a lot of men don't understand. 80% of the divorces are instigated by the wives. In married relationships, women tend to be much unhappier than men, okay? And we need to understand why. A part of that, that you know, I would, I would say a huge part of it comes down to a lot of this feminist ideology, all right? And a lot of this um, around the area of submission, okay? Um, there is this lie in our culture, okay? There's this lie in our culture, and it's that love must be given unconditionally, all right? You've got to love people unconditionally. And what you're going to find is that women tend to crave affection, all right? Women want affection, okay? But men don't crave affection like women do, okay? What do men crave? Well, they crave respect, okay? They crave honor, all right? And they're drawn to that. So what happens is there's this lie in our culture that affection must be given unconditionally, but respect has to be earned, okay? And this destroys couples. Believing this destroys couples, okay? Because what happens from the woman's perspective is they expect their husbands or their boyfriends or whomever to give them love unconditionally. And if they don't do that, then they're failing in their responsibility. And yet at the same time, women oftentimes will also feel like this husband needs to earn my respect. I don't need to give them respect unless they earn it. And this is a formula to destroy relationship, okay? It's a formula to destroy relationship, okay? And it's, it's the opposite of what the Bible commands, all right? Because the Bible says this, right? The, verse 33 of, of Ephesians 5 here, the end of this paragraph that we've been reading, it says, however, each one of you, speaking to husbands, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, Okay? What we see in the Bible is that the Bible gives the command for the husbands to love their wives, but it doesn't give the wife the same command to love their husband. It gives the wife the command to respect her husband. All right. Now, this is incredible wisdom from 2,000 years ago. Okay. Because what we're going to find in psychology is this, these are actually the things that each side is craving. All right. Men are craving respect. Women are craving affection. Okay. So there's a breakdown when women expect affection but don't expect to give respect. Does that make sense? That causes relationships to break down really fast, okay? And what we find in our culture today is that many men feel obligated to give love, unconditional love to their wives, but they're craving respect and they don't know how to earn the respect of their wives, something like that, okay? And that's because... It's not common understanding or wisdom that women are to give respect unconditionally in the same way that men give love, okay? Now, I want to be careful there. I think unconditional is probably the wrong word, all right? I don't think necessarily we're supposed to give love unconditionally, and I don't think we're supposed to give respect unconditionally. I think there's supposed to be conditions, but we're supposed to give it graciously. I think that's a better way to put it, okay? Both sides are to give you know, love graciously and respect graciously. And this is the part that I think many people don't understand. It's hard. They don't, they don't know how to give respect well. 
okay? And I just want to say, you know, as a as a man, I also have to deal with this, all right? So, for example, when I was a young pastor, um, I remember I would look at other churches and ministries, and I would be, uh, you know, I would have disdain in my heart, <laughs> okay, just to be totally blunt. And well, I remember as a college student, um, I remember being so frustrated with my college fellowship and then I looked around at the other college fellowships and I was like so frustrated with a lot of them, you know, like why are they so bad? That's the way I felt right inside. And the thing is, some of that frustration, that was leadership in me. It was like my ability to actually see a lot of these weaknesses and be like, man, we have to fix these weaknesses. These are terrible weaknesses. Why are these weaknesses so strong? But that's the problem. I didn't understand at the time why these weaknesses existed in the church right? I didn't have enough wisdom to understand the realities of the difficulties of leadership, okay? And so as a young leader, I was often criticizing other leaders, other ministries, because I could see their weaknesses relatively clearly, okay? But as I matured as a leader, and I'm continuing to mature today, obviously, the Lord really started to emphasize to me that it was important to Him that I honor and love these other leaders in the body, right? And um, and what I realized over time is that it's more important to see their strengths and their faith than it is to see their weaknesses, okay? Because the truth is, from God's perspective, man, we're all dummies, okay? From God's perspective, we're all dummies. You know, I, I remember I got this conviction because I was thinking about um, Jesus with his disciples, right? You know, it, it. I used to feel when I was in high school, I remember this, I used to feel it was my responsibility. If I saw somebody sinning, right, do something wrong, it was my responsibility to correct them, okay? That's what I thought when I was a young believer who's earnestly trying to grow in the Lord. And I, um, you know, I tried to do that and it didn't go well for me, <laughs> but it wasn't until later that I realized, man, if Jesus had that mentality, you know, he would have been insufferable. <laughs> you know, can you imagine him walking around, you know, with Peter and being like, oh, Peter, I heard that thought, right? I heard that thought, Peter. Fix it, right? Or Peter, you know, John, I saw the way you looked at that girl, right? <laughs> you know, like you think I didn't see? Oh, I saw it, right? Like if Jesus felt obligated to correct his disciples for every infraction, right? Every small sin of their thought of their thought life and everything. I mean, he would have just been constantly rebuking them, like nonstop, right? Because we're all dummies, okay? We're all immature from God's perspective, all right? And, um, but w- that's not what you see. You do see that Jesus does correct them, obviously, sometimes, okay? But what, I think the sense that you get is that they felt safe with him, right? They, saw, they felt safe with Jesus, and you see many times where he affirms them and honors them. And, um, and there's something very noble and important about that, where as believers, it's very, it is easy for us to see the weaknesses in other leaders or in other people. And for me as a young pastor, that was something that God was trying to correct. Hey, Dennis, I know you can see real weaknesses and, and faults in others, but now I want you to focus on seeing their strengths. I want you to focus on seeing the good things that they're doing for my kingdom. And I want you to love them and honor them for those things that they're doing. And, um, and that's been a process, right, where I've been growing in that, you know, for years now, really trying to always see um, the strengths in the rest of the body of Christ, right? And um, and I think that's healthy. And the reason why I bring that up is because this is exactly the way it works in, in relationships, okay, especially in the family, right? If women are looking for weaknesses in their husbands, oh, I promise you, they're going to find them, <laughs> 
There's, okay, guys are dumb. <laughs> We're dumb. We do so many stupid things. And if you're looking for those weaknesses, you're going to find them, right? And this is the problem with a lot of the feminist ideology today, okay? It's, you know, you deserve somebody who's amazing like you are, right? And it's like, is there some truth in that? I guess, but the truth is like, you're just as jacked up, right? You got just as many problems. And and the point is that the spirit of submission, this, the real spirit of it is not technical submission, okay? Technical submission is like, man, I don't respect this person at all, but I got to obey them. That's technical submission. That's not the spirit of submission. The spirit of submission is, man, I see this person, and yeah, I see their weaknesses, but I'm so impressed by their strengths. Their strengths are so amazing to me, and I'm so glad that I get to be under the authority of this leader. Can I tell you, that is the kind of person that every man wants. Every man, every man on the face of the planet wants a woman that will know him, that will see the weaknesses, but will also see the strengths and will be so thankful to be under that person's authority. Every man is craving that. Every man is longing for that, okay? Because what you can find about men is that men are insecure, okay? The fear of every man is that their, their, their weaknesses disqualify them from being great, right? That's the, that's the fear of every man, okay? So the, the, many men are constantly trying to prove themselves, Right at work, they're trying to prove themselves. They're never showing weakness, right? Because that criticism is so devastating for every man, um, for many men, because they don't have another source of affirmation in their lives. Okay, let me tell you. I t- I told you before. Men crave respect and honor, and that's not that's not because they're you know super insecure idiots. Okay, even though we are to some degree, right? All men are are to some degree insecure. Um. But there's something deeper than that. Honor is really what brings out the potential in men, okay? And it's true for women also, but if we're talking about, you know, it's more important for men, okay? If a man is honored in his life, then what happens is he he gets this belief inside of him that I can do this, right? I can do this. I can overcome this problem. I can, I can figure it out, right? But if they don't have that source of honor in their lives, then what happens is they feel like, I can't do this. I'll never be able to do this. And, and, and the ability to reach your potential is really determined by the amount of honor that you receive in your life as a man, okay? And I'm, I'll tell you, I've been in, in both situations. I've been in, in situations where I've been completely dishonored. And in those situations, I wasn't able to do that much because you can't lead without trust and respect, right? Like, people didn't trust and respect Jesus. When Jesus went to his hometown, right, they're like, who's this guy? We know his dad. Like, who's this guy? This guy thinks he's the Messiah? Dude, we know this guy, right? And it says he could not do many miracles there. And then he said, you know, prophet is without honor in his own hometown. It works the same way for Jesus. If Jesus (laughs) can't be great, because people dishonor him in a certain context, well, of course that's going to happen for people too, for other men, all right? And I've been in contexts where I've been really dishonored, and I can't do that much in, in those contexts because honor is the prerequisite for me to be able to use my gifts effectively, all right? 
And then I've been in other contexts where I've been greatly honored. And the honor, it, it actually propels the gifts. It makes the gifts come out, right? It like calls and beckons to the gifts so they come out. And this is why men crave that type of a situation. They want to go where they are honored, right? Because then they know that they'll be able to utilize their gifts. They'll be able to utilize their potential. And you understand this is very important for men. Okay, it's very important. So the point is, when we have these familial situations, these family situations, where women don't know how to give honor, they don't, it crushes men at home. Okay, it crushes them. All right. And, and the problem is that when men don't feel honored, they can't give affection. (laughs) They might want to give affection, but that has to flow out of something. Right. And, and, you know, this is one of those situations where a lot of women are going to be like, well, if only he showed me affection, then I would be able to give him honor, but he doesn't show me affection. It's this vicious cycle. Right. And the point is both sides have to give more than they feel like they're receiving. That's how it works in the kingdom, right? You might feel dishonored husband, but you still have to try and give more affection than you feel like she deserves. And wife, you have to give more respect than you feel like he deserves. That's the nature of how this works. That's the only context in which the relationship can thrive, okay? It's when you're giving more than you feel like you deserve. But that's that's the problem with the feminist ideology because the feminist ideology says, no, if they're not going to, you know, give you affection, you shouldn't respect them. Don't respect a person like that. That that will kill the relationship. It will absolutely destroy it. Okay? No, we have to love graciously and we have to respect graciously. It's very important. And that's not a lie. It's not based off a lie. It's not that it, it's not like, okay, this person really doesn't deserve your love and respect. Um, but you still gotta give it to them. No, the truth is they really do deserve your love and respect if you could see them the way that God does. This is the beauty of, you know, of God. It's that we're so immature and weak, but when the Lord looks at us, he understands our situation, right? He understands the difficulty of the situation that we live in, which is why even a small amount of faith can impress God, right? Think about that. That's so amazing that God understands all of our weaknesses. He knows how dumb we are and stuff like that. But when he sees faith, he goes, wow, there's, that's special to me, Right? That's, that's amazing that even in this person's immaturity, even in, in the context of this darkness that they live in and the spiritual oppression that they live in, they're able to have faith in this context. And there's something that moves the heart of God when he sees that. And from our perspective, it's like, you know, I should have more faith. <laughs> and yeah, of course we should. But God is impressed even by the small amounts of faith that we, that we have. Right? You know, the, there's something that's incredible about that. But that it works the same way in family, right? Where as a, as a wife, you have to be able to see your husband's weaknesses, see his faults, but be able to see his strengths so clearly and be like, wow, I'm so impressed by your strengths, right? And I just think a lot of, a lot of women don't know that. They don't know that, okay? And um, it works the same way for women who want to get married, all right? Look, I think this is going to be hard for some women to hear, but some women don't understand that the difficulty for them to give respect is really what is keeping them from finding affection back. Okay, let me put it to you another way, all right? Seduction is the false, it's the counterfeit of submission. Seduction is the counterfeit of submission, okay? For every true virtue, the enemy has a counterfeit, Okay, and if we can understand why seduction works, 
How does seduction work? Okay, well, it, it works because you give a man the things that he's craving, which is respect and sex. <laughs> you, you, you give a man the things that he is craving, respect and sex, and what's going to happen? He's going to be drawn to you. He's going to need you. Okay? If, and, and the thing is, seduction is you're giving those things to get something from the man, right? You're using respect and and sex, right, to get what you want from the man. So it's actually, it's a controlling, manipulative type of thing, and it's not genuine, right? As soon as you get the thing that you want, you stop giving, you know, the the admiration and the respect and the sex, okay? That's why it's toxic. It's a trap, okay? But I'm, I'm the only reason I'm bringing it up is because we have to understand why it works, okay? Why does seduction work? Because men crave those things. And a lot of women think that, you know, they're not to give those things easy, but it's the opposite. No, let me tell you, the, the woman who can get lots of men, all right, is the one who gives respect easily. Because that's, and, and it works the same way. For me, look, as, as, a, as a man, as a pastor, if I treat other men with great respect, they're naturally going to be drawn to me. Why? Because men are craving that, okay? As, as a pastor, I, I always joke that, you know, my main job when I'm discipling people is just to say you're doing a good job. <laughs> like, literally, I feel like, I feel like as a pastor, that's half of what I do, right? Half of what I do is to go, man, you're doing a great job. Because, uh, let me just tell you, younger men, they crave that. And I understand why. They're craving somebody to look at them and be like, wow, this person's doing great. Because they're, they're constantly hearing criticism. They're constantly hearing criticism. Okay, and when you have a leader that can come and, and look at them and be like, hey, I'm not saying, you know, you're Michael Jordan, all right, but what I'm saying is I see the difficulties of your situation, I see how hard the situation is, I see the lack of training that you had, I see all of that, and I'm saying for where you're at, you're doing a great job, and there's something that's so life-giving about that for, you know, for younger leaders, and especially younger men right? And I completely understand that. And what a lot of women don't understand is if you're stingy with your respect, it's going to be really hard to find a guy. It's going to be really hard because that's the thing that men are craving, right? But if you give men respect, and, and that doesn't mean that you can't see their faults or their flaws. It just means that you also see their strengths and their real contributions. If you can see that, if you have eyes to see that as a woman, I tell you, you're going to have men that are going to be drawn to you. Because men are craving that thing, okay? And and I, I, a lot of times with, with women, especially young women who are trying to find, you know, a husband, a lot of times I just feel like I want to coach them. Because a lot of women have these walls where they're very stingy in giving respect. And I just want to say, if, if that's the case, man, it's, that's a wall that's going to be so hard, right? You, you got to break that down. And the thing is, I understand, because a lot of women have had, you know, authorities that didn't care about them, authorities that controlled them, all sorts of immature authorities, I completely understand, all right? But what I'm saying is that you got to get that healed. You have to seek after healing it. And if you do, you can find healing in those areas. And it starts, it always starts. Almost any process of healing in our lives starts with forgiving our parents. Because none of our parents were perfect, okay? None of our fathers were perfect, but what I am saying is that the, the the wounds from our fathers that carry over in our lives that never get healed, 
those things, man, they're going to mess up our lives. All right? So it starts with forgiving your father. Okay? Forgive your father for the ways that he sinned against you, the ways that he was not a good leader. Okay? All of our fathers were imperfect. So there's gonna, this is essential for everyone. And what I'm getting at is you want to get to a place where you greatly respect your father. Okay, if you, if you if, as a woman, you can get to a place where you, when you think about your father, you think, wow, I was so lucky, lucky to have this father, okay? Then I'm telling you, it's going to be so much easier for you to find a man. And you're going to be able to better discern what a great man would be. Because if you don't get that thing healed, let me tell you, Number one, it's going to be hard to find a healthy man, and you're going to be constantly tempted by unhealthy masculine characteristics, okay? Because you got to get that thing healed, all right? And again, it's a process. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to have it 100% healed, right? A lot of us walk around with some level of unhealed wounds in our hearts our whole lives, okay? And I'm, I'm saying that's okay, but I, but I am saying start the process, right? Start forgiving your father, right? Start forgiving your old pastor. Start forgiving your old boyfriend, whomever you felt wronged you or used you, forgive them and try and get to a place where you can look at your father and be like, man, I'm so thankful I had this father, right? Man, I'm so thankful I had this father. He wasn't perfect. He had all these flaws and, and these problems, but I can, I can count all the ways that he blessed my life, right? When I think about him, I can think about all the ways that he blessed my life, all the ways that he helped me, how much worse it would have been if I didn't have him in my life, right? Until you cultivate this gratitude for the male authorities in your life, right? And let me just tell you, so much of that translates over to our relationship with God, okay? Because our natural way of viewing God will be like the way that we view our early fathers. That's the default way that we view God. We will view God like our earthly father. That's the default, okay? Now, and then all of us have to work through healing where we forgive our fathers for the weaknesses that they have. We become thankful. We nurture gratitude and honor for the real strengths that they have. And that makes us healthy and more able to enter into a healthy relationship with a spouse, Okay, so I just want to tell a lot of, you know, younger women, right, go through that process of healing, forgive your dad, honor him, honor the male authorities in your life, try to see their strengths clearly, try to see their strengths clearly, because I promise you, you're going to find weaknesses in every man, in every man, you're going to find weaknesses, and what I'm saying is that you know, 50% roughly of marriages end in divorce. 80% of those divorces are caused by their, are, are, are really wives making the choice to leave their husbands. They want out, okay? And how many of those marriages that don't, get, don't end in divorce, the 50% that don't end in divorce, how many of those are in situations where the wife does not respect the man hardly at all? And I'll tell you, it's a very high percentage, okay? And now I'm not trying to say that men have no responsibility for that. But what I am simply trying to say is that women carry the lion's share of the of the of the responsibility there, okay? Because as a as a man, we can't force other people to respect us. God, Jesus did not force people to respect him. You can't force that, okay? You invite it, and it's our own internal, you know, process and decision to choose to on to give honor and respect, okay? And again, I say that as somebody who God has brought me through law, you know, a huge process of learning how to honor and respect people 
you know, who all have real weaknesses. But this is essential. This is an essential skill, but this is what I'm talking about. This is the spirit of submission. All right, the spirit of submission is not a technical submission like, oh man, this person doesn't deserve it all, but I'm gonna do what they say because God wants me to, right? No, no, that's a technical submission. That's better than nothing, to be clear, okay? But the spirit of submission is, God, I'm so thankful for this authority in my life. God, thank you so much for this authority, right? I feel so much gratitude for their authority in my life because I know that without without this person, it would be so much worse in, in, in all these different ways, okay? And that's a very difficult place of humility and mature character to get to. It's very difficult, that process. But what I want to say is that that heart, that character is probably the most important component for a healthy family life, okay? And, and I want to say, look, marriage and family life has never been more attacked in our culture today a huge, huge portion of responsibility for that is because men do not submit themselves unto the Lord, okay? That is such a huge part of this, okay? But the second huge part is that women do not submit themselves to their men, okay? To their husbands. And then what happens is children learn from their from their moms not to submit, okay? Rebelliousness in the children is oftentimes, it's learned from a from a father's refusal to submit himself to the Lord, right? And it's learned from a wife's refusal to submit herself to her husband, all right? And that translates, and what we have now is we have the most rebellious generation in history, okay? And the way that that manifests itself is you have all these young people who think they know. <laughs> they know everything, right? They, you know, we, we have young people voting in record numbers, and, you know, the the Democrat Party celebrates that. yes. We need to see change, right? All these old patriarchal fools, right? We need to. We need this young generation to come and show them what real wisdom is. That is a spirit of rebellion, okay? That's a spirit of rebellion. That is against everything the scripture talks about, right? That we should honor our elders. That gray hair is a is a is a crown of glory, right? That's what scripture says. It says that young people are dumb, okay? That's the that's one of the most important biblical lessons. Why? Because wisdom has to be learned. You have to learn wisdom, and you do that through submission, right? Through learning to honor your elders. It doesn't mean that you don't see their faults, but it means that you honor their strengths, right? You've learned to to respect that, and that's your only hope of growing in humility and wisdom. And we have a whole generation of young people who are like, now we don't need to, we don't need any of that. We know how to do it better ourselves, right? We can do this, right? We don't need these old people, right? They're they're the worst. <laughs> and you know what that is? That spirit of rebellion. That is asking for judgment. Okay, that is asking for judgment. All right, honor your mother and your father that it may go well with you, and that you may have long life on the earth. All right, the the biblical wisdom on this is not complicated okay it's not mysterious it is very clearly written down right that we are to honor those who are older what lest we fall into greater immaturity than our our parent generation okay and if you're a, a leader in the body of christ let me just tell you that this is a great temptation because the temptation is you're gonna you know experience being wronged by authorities in your life because this happens to everybody and and then you're gonna go, man. Forget these guys. I can do it better myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it myself, and I don't need all of these authorities in my life. And I just wanna say that's a temptation for for all of us. But if we give into that, it absolutely will 
um, cause us to miss out on so much that God has for us. Because the, the, the way of the kingdom, all right, is generational inheritance. Okay, the way of the kingdom is generational inheritance. It's to give honor to the ones who came before and then to receive from them, receive blessing, receive wisdom. And we really need that in this generation. And so this is my encouragement for all young leaders. Obviously, I spent a good amount of time, you know, talking about uh, wives submitting to their husbands. Um, but really, it's it's all of us. We all need the spirit of submission, okay? And that is, that is we are going to give respect easily, okay? And again, true submission has boundaries. It says no at times. That's not necessarily a violation of submission, But the point is, I'm not stingy with my respect. I give my honor easily, right? It's not hard for me to see great strengths in other people, in other leaders, in other men, right? It's not hard for me to do that, okay? And that is a godly spirit of submission. All right, if you want to know more about some of these topics, especially about men and women, I generally, I I would recommend um, Jordan Peterson. If you listen to his interview with Kathy Newman, um, on YouTube, phenomenal interview. I've, I've listened to it like three times now, right? Because he just gives so much data as to why the whole feminist narrative of oppression is is wrong, right? This is not from a Christian perspective. This is just from a psychological, data-driven, scientific perspective, okay? Um, I'd also recommend um, Suzanne Venker. She has a podcast. You can look up the Suzanne Venker show. I don't know if she's doing new episodes, um, but there's so much wisdom there. Right, and I highly encourage every woman, especially, to listen to that. Okay, uh, because it it really helps us understand men understand their their needs and the, what they're craving and stuff like that. And see, a lot of women, what they want is they they want to demand that their man give them affection, but that's really not how any of this works. You, you can't demand that, right? What you have to do is you have to give um, respect, right? If you give respect well then it's much easier for a man to give affection. And obviously, it's the same way for a man, right? If you give affection, it's much easier to receive respect, okay? But it's a mutual cycle that we both have to learn to give graciously more than we feel that we deserve, something like that, okay? So I'd recommend that Suzanne um, Venker show, good source. There's a lot of, um, you know, sources online now that are talking, this is a very hot topic, right? Andrew Tate, now to be clear, I don't agree with a lot of Andrew, what Andrew Tate says, but the reason why he blew up in popularity is because he is kind of declaring some of these differences between men and women so forcefully and boldly that it's so refreshing, especially to so many men, right? They hear that like, wow, man, yeah, nobody has the you know the courage to say stuff like that because it makes people so offended, but it's true, right? It's true in the sense that I feel that in my heart. Yeah, that, that is something about men that is not well understood, and that's something that I've never felt okay in saying out loud, right? That That's why he's blowing up in popularity. Um, but again, he's got some stuff that I, I think is is not healthy, obviously. Um, but there's a reason why he's popular, right? There's a reason why these people, there's a reason why Jordan Peterson became so popular, right? It's because so many men in particular are craving this real understanding of responsibility, right? Of, of how it is that they can really thrive and succeed in their lives because there's not a lot of information about that. Like there's constant accusation against men as being oppressive and, you know, bad at loving and selfish and all this kind of stuff. And there's aspects of truth to all of that, but there needs to be real understanding to bring life-giving truth. Okay, the nature of, of accusation is that uh, the most effective accusation has a little bit of truth, 
okay? If you accuse somebody of something where they don't feel there's any truth there, it's not gonna stick. But if you accuse them of something that has a little bit of truth, but then you blow it up beyond where the truth is, then it becomes an accusation that really pierces their heart and, and destroys them, okay? And the antidote for all of this accusation in our culture is the real truth, right? Not just the seed of the truth attached to this huge accusation, but like the real truth that brings freedom and understanding in our hearts. And that's why a lot of these figures are blowing up on YouTube and stuff like that. So I would encourage all men and women to really get this type of understanding because the, the popular truth in our culture is so damaging and we're seeing that in the utter destruction of marriage, right? The, 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 how low the birth rate has come down in all these westernized nations now. South Korea, I recently learned, has the lowest birth rate of all developed nations. And you have to understand, this is a terrible judgment, okay? This is a terrible judgment on South Korea. But we have to understand why this is happening, okay? Why this is happening in our times and how to prevent it because all of us have the ability to have a really healthy family life, really healthy church life. This is what we want. And we want to serve the Lord's purposes in our generation. Okay, I hope that helps. God bless. See you guys next week.